0: previously on Seeking Tumnus. And welcome to the premiere episode of Seeking Tumnus The podcast where we'll revisit the books of our collective youth To see if the magic is still there On alternating episodes, we explore what we can only assume Is the nightmarish hellscape of contemporary adolescent fiction My name is Laurie, and I'm joined by the cromulent Keith Rowe Hey The magnifique Brie, Bonjour And the consummate Patrick Moon Hello Thanks for joining us. But before we start, some cautionary words.
1: This is a warning about the content of this episode of Seeking Tumness. This podcast will contain spoilers. Spoilers for this 32 year old classic tale authored by Roald Dahl. Spoilers that should indeed not be spoilers for someone listening to a podcast about children's books. If somehow you have not read the book, pause this now and go read it. We love when our listeners can join in on the fun. Seeking Tumness may also contain references to dogs droppings, excited grown-ups talking over each other, (laughs) disparaging comments about movie adaptations and hopefully a jaunty trip down memory lane And now, here's the Magnifique Brie with a synopsis of The Witches
2: This week we commence our tale with a warning This story is about real witches the ones who don't get about on broomsticks. This story is about the witches who live across the road, who drive cars, who go about their daily lives, not advertising the fact that they are witches, but all of whom, without fail, despise children. We are introduced to a seven-year-old boy who goes to live with his Norwegian grandmother after the untimely demise of his parents in a car accident. She is a great, Slightly wicked, storyteller and retired witchophile and tells dastardly tales of the disappearances of five children of her acquaintance who were all snaffled away by these evil creatures. Most importantly, she teaches him about how to recognise a witch. The pair soon move to England to the family home where the boy has his first narrow escape from one of the witches. During a summer holiday at a hotel on the coast, the boy finds himself the accidental attendee at a conference of witches attended by the Grand High Witch herself. He uncovers a plot to use a magic potion to turn all of the children of England into mice before being unwittingly turned into a mouse himself. A delightfully cheesy adventure ensues. With the help of Grandmama, Little Mouse decides to use the potion against the witches before living out his days as a mousy witch hunter right around the world. So to the moral of the story. If you're a child and you're listening to this podcast, all I'll say is be extremely wary, nay, suspicious of the motives of hat or wig-wearing women.
0: Ha <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> one of the uh, indicators of a good book like this one is the first page. Does it hook you and lure you in? Patrick Moon, why don't you read us the first page?
1: I'll read what I can approximate as the first page from my iDevice uh, my here. Chapter 1 being a, a note about witches In fairy tales, witches always wear silly black hats and black cloaks And they ride on broomsticks But this is not a fairy tale This is about real witches The most important thing you should know about real witches is this Listen very carefully Never forget what is coming next Real witches dress in ordinary clothes and look very much like ordinary women They live in ordinary houses and they work in ordinary jobs That is why they are so hard to catch A real witch hates children with a red-hot sizzling hatred that is more sizzling and red-hot than any hatred you could possibly imagine A real witch spends all her time plotting to get rid of the children in her particular territory Her passion is to do away with them one by one It is all she thinks about the whole day long even if she is working as a cashier in a supermarket or typing letters for a businessman or driving around in a fancy car, and she could be doing any of these things, her mind will always be plotting and scheming and churning and burning and whizzing and fizzing with murderous, bloodthirsty thoughts.
0: That is brilliant! <laughs> <laughs> this, this is exactly, for me, what made Roald Dahl so amazing. He wasn't just... You know, a cunning wordsmith, even to the point of using words that you wouldn't really expect to see,
1: like fizzing and whizzing. And words that otherwise don't exist in the English language. (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. But he's also not afraid to put terrible thoughts into the minds of young kids and and make it work. It's just, it's lovely. I,
1: I think this exemplifies for me exactly what I loved about Dahl. The, uh, the alliteration and everything in those passages Make them like kind of roll off the tongue I really enjoy reading it in in that sense I think it should be like read aloud pretty much It's the kind of thing that I would like the school librarian To be sort of reading to me as a ten-year-old
0: Oh, exactly In fact, a couple of pages later He suggests that the lady reading this to you Might <laughs> in fact be a witch That's just, you know It gives me shivers thinking about that as if I was a little
1: kid in here. Hearing- it's a slur on school librarians <laughs> <all> or <over. laughs> exactly.
0: Everyone in the room sort of starts giving the, the librarian a squinty sort of stare and
2: I was gonna ask whether you guys had a particularly scary school librarian that's um, put this thought into your mind too.
1: <laughs> yeah, I had an odd librarian that wore a neck brace a lot of the time. <laughs> And as we know, one of the key indicia for recognising a witch is that she may be wearing a neck brace.
2: Claiming from work cover.
1: Possibly. Miss Noel's big (laughs) (laughs) shout-out.
0: So why did we choose this book? Um, It's our premiere episode and we had our pick of of, of books and authors, but this one was one of the
1: first to come to mind. Why was that for you, Keith? Well, Roald Dahl, I think, is... The author I immediately go to when I think of books I read as a child So it really uh, was a no-brainer choosing a Roald Dahl book, in my opinion And you could choose just about any of his books to go with first up But uh, I think this one is a great choice So, yeah, what did you think, Pat? Uh, yeah, I liked it I I mean, I, I confess to not having as much of a Roald Dahl... Kind of frame of reference in my mind A lot of those memories from reading the books When I was a, a kid have kind of Faded into obscurity now And uh, I remember really liking This one and being a little bit creeped out By it but that's about the the extent Of what I had rattling around in my brain So I'm, I'm always happy to dive back into These things on the uh, Recommendation of my Erudite co-hosts uh, <laughs> Here but uh, Yeah no it's just a, just an interesting Exploration for me really
2: I quite like it because I think it crosses the ages. So I loved this as a child, as I did most Roald Dahl books. However, I think on rereading it, you know, obviously in the last week, then I really enjoyed it still. It still captured me. I can still imagine my excitement at, you know, turning to the next page. And I imagine I probably read it under the covers with my tiny little book torch and, yeah, absolutely devoured it. Book geek alert. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, as I read
1: it, that's a funny thing as well. As I read it, I had this nostalgic these nostalgic feelings of reading it as a child. It was like the words were so familiar to me as I read them.
2: Mm. I
1: Yeah I completely I, agree, I agree with that.
2: Mm. Yep.
1: I remember as an adult
0: reading a book by Dean Kuntz. It was a book called Twilight Eyes, and it was very similar in that it had this group of creatures that were hidden amongst society. No one could really tell except for a very select few that had the knowledge or ability to see through a, a thin veil over these creatures, and it reminded me of this book, and and I think that's why it, it sprung to mind for me. I really love that idea of a, a secret society of evildoers and some brave hero being able to detect them and thwart their evil plans, and... And just, just like you said, Keith, rereading it now and, and going back and suddenly seeing these these wonderful phrases that Dahl's created, it's it was just great. Loved it. So for me it was just to revisit and it was one of my favorites. And and just that sort of premise of a, a hidden evil being thwarted by a hero. It's just great.
2: That is so much more in more thought put into that than I had, which was just it was fun. <laughs> I really
1: liked the the words and the pages. What about the pictures? Seriously though, the illustrations as well were were yeah. certainly worthy of mention.
0: What's his name? Quentin Blake.
1: His illustrations, they're simple, but they've got so much character to them. Yeah, they were actually really good. And in sort of a sketchy kind of format, like the first thing that comes to your mind when you're you're thinking about, you know, a, a crazy witch-like lady tearing off her mask to reveal her Toothy visage (laughs) It it worked really well in that sense Like stream of consciousness kind of drawings almost Yeah and I think because they're a little abstract as well It it still leaves a lot of room for your imagination To run wild with each of the The concepts and the ideas
0: Yeah I agree and 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 each character, even though they're they're simple, yeah. each character does have a very distinct look to them. And just looking through the book now, and the grandmother um, has a very sort of rotund and warm and fuzzy grandmother kind of look, and she's staring up at say the um, the manager of the hotel that they visit, and he's got the little moustache and the sort of serious haircut and the big nose and the and the sort of down down looking eyes. It's just great. He he really captures these characters that he's got to draw with such skill. It's great. So that's why we chose it. What do we actually think of the book as we reread now?
1: Keith? Um, as I've touched on, I, I love this book. So what I loved about it most is the unmistakable Roald Dahl character and the sense of humour that prevails through the story. Like even when dastardly happenings are, are going on, there's, a, there's an underlying humour to it. One particular thing that stood out to me was Beardjit. The girl turned into a chicken, as uh, Grandmama recounts, who laid brown eggs that were delicious Picturing that, the brown eggs and the fact that they're delicious was, was classic Roald Dahl for me. Further to that, the pace at which the story progresses, it's great for children. It never drags on. There's not too much detail, but there is enough detail that you can really go wild with your imagination. And the colourful imaginative descriptions really lend themselves to do just that. Overall, the writing itself, the lack of pretension in the writing, and as, as Pat touched on, the use of these created fantastical words, makes it not only accessible, but it, it lends itself to the squeamish content that, that is particular in, in The Witches. Uh, it is un, unapologetically, I think, focused at children, but as Bree touched on, it still works as an adult. Part of that is the nostalgic attachment to the book from our childhood, but it stands up to be a, it's a quick book. It's It's a, a brief read, but it is really quite entertaining. Pat, what did you think? Yeah, I kind of, I, I agree with you And I think that the biggest thing that I took away probably was a sense that um, This is really for children And whilst I still enjoyed it, I kind of had a, a bit more sort of reticence reading it And I'm like, uh, this it doesn't, doesn't quite tickle me in the same way it did when I was a kid And so I love the language and I love how grim it gets But I kind of feel a little bit sort of separated from the magic of it that I I used to get and I can recapture that with a lot of stuff books like you know Harry Potter and and whatnot I can go back to and I still find them really engaging and and I guess this is maybe just like like that one age group separated uh, you know a a little bit younger and I just find that I can't can't quite engage with it the way that I want to but uh I I do like it a lot and and particularly the writing and that's enough to kind of carry it for me I think. Brie?
2: I fall more on the side with Keith actually. I just loved rereading it. I haven't picked it up for probably, (laughs) spoiler alert, 25 years and I found that in such a few in such few words he can actually paint a picture of a place or capture for me like a feeling of where they were or what it looks like in Norway as opposed to England or those sorts of things and by painting the character of Mr Stringer for example what a what an uptight English waiter type would be you know pre-faulty towers and actually maybe um Manuel was based on Mr Stringer in some ways.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Same amount of hamsters.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But I also just... I, th- I really quite liked the relationship between grandmama and the boy I mean this kid has had a horrific start to life With both of his parents being killed in a car accident And her response is to deal with that with enveloping love and cuddles And then to capture his imagination with stories to distract And I just feel that it really sort of sets up a nice bittersweet, admittedly um, Relationship that sort of carries it along a bit
1: Are they stories to distract or stories to terrify the living out of <laughs> This poor child, and like, to force
2: him to comply. Yeah, it's <laughs> they're for his own safety. <laughs> All parents tread a fine line. <laughs> it's, it's,
1: she's like, there be witches out there, so I'm like, you've you watch yourself because like shit gets real out in the world.
2: Yeah, look, maybe I'll give it a go. <laughs>
1: i I wondered for a moment whether this might
0: all be all in their heads. He's just lost his parents. he's got this crackpot old grandma who's <laughs> seen witches all her life. and suddenly he's you know he's on the edge already, and she's convinced him that witches are real and they end up Murdering by accident A whole room full of Really nice old ladies <laughs> That's a rather Twisted
1: perspective <laughs> but That would be like Completely in line With Roald Dahl's Kind yeah, of true. Bizarre sort of Sense of humour Like yeah, it's true He woke up And it was all a dream But he'd also Murdered 85 women <laughs> like doting Grandmothers all
2: And you Laurie? For me
0: I mean apart from Everything you just said, um, I mean, I, I love the writing, I love the characters, I love the setting and, and the premise but there's a couple of more reasons. One is the naughtiness of his writing. There's things in here I sort of wonder now whether some parents, when we were all reading these for the first time, might have been a little bit put off by the naughtiness of the books <laughs> and it's not, it's not necessarily rude or crude. I mean, there is talk of dogs droppings and whatnot, but he's just a little bit cheeky now. I think he excelled at pushing the boundaries of what is sort of acceptable and, and what is funny to children, but you know, still okay. And there's plenty of that in this book. And that really tickled my fancy. So um, and the other thing was the ending of the book. It doesn't end up all peaches and cream it's it's he's, he's still a mouse at the end of the book and he he asks his grandmother how long do mice live and she sort of makes a rough calculation based on the fact that he's not a real mouse he's sort of a magically transformed mouse and it's not it's not human years he's, he's going to die quicker than he normally would and he says to his grandmother that you know that's okay i don't want to live past you anyway because she's very old and rather unwell Yeah, Mm. that's right. Yeah, she's had pneumonia and she's smoking cigars regularly
1: and whatnot. Constantly throughout the book.
2: (laughs) Uh, One of my favourite lines is, uh, she's chewing on the end of her cigar as though it were a delicious asparagus.
0: (laughs) 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 Well, that doesn't make sense. Asparagus. (laughs) I'd rather chew a cigar, I think. (laughs) It's it's not... It's not the fairy tale ending, and I, I, I think as an adult, I'm not sure how I felt about it as a child. I can't recall, but I really appreciated that, um, you know, they've gone through this horrific experience. They've triumphed over the the witches and basically rid England of all the witches there are. But they don't walk off into the sunset un, unchanged. You know, there's a cost to what they've done. I, I appreciate that, Roald Dahl. Wrote that kind of book. It
1: wasn't. These are your uh, like dark night sensib- sensibilities coming to coming to the fore in a Roald Dahl sense
0: uh, I was thinking more along the lines of someone. and uh, Let me think of a modern author. Someone like um, Robin Hobb who who writes amazing characters that you get really attached to, and then does well, not quite horrible things to them, but you know. I don't think horrible is a stretch. <laughs> but she makes she makes their lives interesting and it really affects you when things go badly for these characters. Um, and I think that's testament of a good author. That if she can make you care about the characters and, and not necessarily make it all um, sweetness and light, then they've done a good job. I like that. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it was a great experience for me. I'm really glad I revisited it. And it was the same time for me. I don't think I'd picked this book up since I was a child. So I, I was very happy to revisit and uh,
1: recommend it touching on your uh, no happy ending or not no happy ending but there was a bit of a happy ending in the second to last chapter I think that really left a, a warm feeling that the final lines of the of the chapter as well I don't mind at all I said it doesn't matter who you are or what you look like so long as somebody loves you I think I was you know in the context of the story it is the happy ending the the final chapter kind of is the, is the the epilogue as to um what happens next and maybe closes off the idea of a sequel which is something that Roald Dahl didn't want
0: Right, right, I agree with that And I I don't remember exactly whether Dahl had a lot of these sentiments in his book He did in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory Where the the poor kid who was nice Sort of wins wins the factory and the affections of a Lunatic, <laughs> and in this book, yes, it doesn't matter who you are or what you are. It's yeah, it was a nice sentiment. I, I don't, I don't really recall the use of morality through his books to to send a message to children about what's good behaviour. But you're right, Keith, that was super
1: nice and unexpected. It was nice without being sort of saccharine throughout the the whole book. It, it's pretty, it's dark, but it's uh, it has its redeeming points. I think. Yeah, I don't think they could have finished it there either. It wouldn't have been in fitting with the rest of the story. So I'm glad that he did go on and have the the adventures at the end. Right.
0: So for me, that was the perfect ending, which I guess is a great segue into the movie.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You're going to give that one away as well. Ruined book and movie in the one
0: podcast. (laughs) Boy, oh boy. Now, just a bit of um, extra reading. Who out of us watched the movie? I did.
2: I am sad to agree that I did as well.
1: I also did. All right. Patrick? I have... I have never seen the movie. Oh, You're missing out. I'm I'm going to be interested to to hear how this sort of varies from what I've read.
0: Well, let's not start with me because I'm going to pile it on. Keith, what
1: did you think of the movie? Oh, everybody's laughter leads me to believe that everybody is going to pile it on. (laughs) Well, actually... Looking back or thinking back about the movie, I did pretty much only have exclusively good memories of it. So it had been a very long time since i had last watched it and I did remember that there was some quite stark differences but having just read the book, re-watching it, I was doing so with a very critical eye. So whilst I'll preface and say I really enjoyed this movie, there was a lot wrong with it at the same time. Casting-wise, I think they did a fantastic job. Angelica Houston, although not diminutive like the, the Grand High Witch in the book, was... Fantastic for the role She had a She was scary And she had that Dominant sort of Character that that As a child I remember being Fearful of her Particularly that scene Where she removes Her mask for the First time Do you guys Recall that? (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yes (laughs) That's got to
1: be The one thing That sticks in the memory As a child From watching that anyway Further to that The casting was also Across the board Pretty good Grandmama Who was transferred To grandma in this There was an an overall Americanization of, of the story in that Luke, they gave him a name actually in the movie. Of course, uh, was from America rather than England, and even though it was set in England, and uh,
2: I'm going to have to interrupt. Yeah, you're that, going to. <laughs>
0: that really stuck in my craw. I I can't believe it. You've got this iconic loved and respected British author that wrote these brilliant books. This book was set in England. All of the other actors in the movie are English but clearly funded by an American film studio that thought, if we're going to make money out of this film, we better have uh, a small American child in it. It's just, it was a slap in the face for me. I really couldn't believe it um, when I started watching. And I, I can't recall if I watched it as a youngster. I think I might have, but i completely forgotten it. The first time he cries out grandmama in an American accent, it's just, it wasn't necessary. And when everything else about the movie was fairly faithful and we'll get into that a bit later. <laughs> this was just a completely unnecessary and and well I'm not quite sickening but I was I was really annoyed
1: with it and just didn't suit the rest of the film at all. You sound personally offended like, uh, Not only did they change The nationality of the lead actor but there was A little like tagline at the end of the credits saying And by the way Laurie's mother is a woman of Low class I actually
2: agree with Laurie On this case Like, I found it really frustrating that it was set in England still at an English Hotel on the Coast and yet there's this American Boy who's supposedly going off to live There I found that really frustrating as well
1: Like they, they didn't make the effort at a full adaptation Yeah
2: <laughs> Either they it was Either they steal it Or they just leave it alone And it's not like It's not like there's not You know Other 10 year old boys In England at the time You know They found one 10 years later Or maybe 20 years later It depends how old <laughs> Harry Potter was I mean Yeah It was unnecessary
1: Can I ask Did they Did they retain All of their Sort of backstory Related to uh, Norwegia
2: or yes. was that... Uh... No, yes. that was there, yeah, that's okay. right. Yeah. Yep,
1: yep. Oh, that's, I, I thought that would be the first sort of thing to, to be stripped, the the European <laughs> element.
0: <laughs> well, they were all wearing clothes in the movie, so I think that part was... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they were pretty faithful to the backstory, just apart from this really obscure change so yeah mm.
1: yeah the way the parents died was a little different a few few subtle differences in the backstory as well but nothing major it was right kind of, kind of the theme of the changes for the most part setting aside the ending was that they were completely unnecessary it, it didn't really there was no reason for the changes Maybe with the exception of of the sort of side or backstory with Rowan Atkinson and his little romance with the maid. I think because (laughs) Rowan Atkinson had been cast, they wanted to give him a bit of free range to...
2: And thank goodness they cast him. He actually made me laugh on at least two occasions, most likely just two.
0: (laughs) I agree. I I appreciated that little injection. That kind of thing, I think, works. You know, you've got a known and a loved... Actor that adds a bit of comedy to it, sure, it's not in the book,
1: but it was fun. So yeah, thumbs up, definitely, <laughs> definitely. And he was he was for Rowan Atkinson quite understated as well. He wasn't playing the silly faces all the time, but he did really suit the role and did well. Like I said, the casting I thought was overall very good. Again, you may disagree with the the, <laughs> the English boy that turned into an American boy that pulled some very strange faces throughout the movie, particularly in the <laughs> opening the be- scenes, the
2: beginning, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't know what to say about that. But the main change was the ending of the film, which I think we'll all agree was a complete and utter disaster. Ah, oh, it was a, an egregious scene. It was just horrific.
2: Completely agree. Bree, do
1: you want to tell us what happened?
2: Um, so, obviously, we have the little mouse who now has a name called Luke, um, who goes off to live with his grandma Grandma in uh, grand. their Isn't house in grand-
0: England. Oh, yeah, Grandma. Grandma, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, and at the very end you actually have the understudy Grand High Witch who has miraculously survived the assassination attempt and has become, I guess, this film's Galinda, good witch of the world, who turns... Luke back into a boy so that he can live happily ever after What? And not only that With his grandma (laughs) Indeed
1: And also with his two mice
2: And also with his two Yes, that's right I didn't mention that in the um, uh, synopsis for the book
1: If it wasn't cheesy enough
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, ho, ho, ho
1: (laughs) What about the, uh, the gluttonous kid Who he's sort of imprisoned with in the handbag Throughout the latter part of the book
2: well, in fact, the little boy yells out, don't forget Bruno and um, encourages Galinda, the good witch of the Roald Dahl <laughs> film adaptation to hurry over and change Bruno back to being his boy self as well.
1: Oh man, I, I hate it. Just from hearing your uh, 30 second yep. synopsis there, I, I hate it yep. and I give it two thumbs down. <laughs> I, think <laughs> Fair it's just,
2: I think it's just, you know, typical of American movies. They tend to want everything to be wrapped up in a happy, neat little bow to please audiences perhaps.
1: Particularly children's movies
2: Yes, yep Heaven forbid the poor little souls see something, you know, real Have to deal with some like kind of emotion children
1: being turned into mice
2: <laughs> Fair point, well played
1: Not to cast aspersions <laughs> on the, uh, the American population Who have fine taste in podcast <laughs> habits
2: uh, As well
1: as being very populous uh, I
2: believe that I'm referring to just the fact that their movies Tend to wrap up in happy little parcels <laughs> <laughs> Vote for me. What about
0: you Laurie? <laughs> well the thing about that scene, thanks for asking Pat, is <laughs> it, it didn't even make sense for that good witch to turn uh, sorry that bad witch to turn good. In the movie she was the um, the support secretary. To- yeah, the direct report, kind of, of the Grand High Witch. And she gets sent to her room at one stage. You're here to do work for me, not to have fun. And that's the only real, I guess, interaction we see with her in the movie. I think she gets fed up and decides to leave, and she doesn't get poisoned, or she's in her room. And she decides that, or well, maybe poisoning children isn't what I'm biologically built for anyway, and...
1: Even if they smell like dogs yeah. dropping. <laughs>
0: but she not only does she come at the end and change the ending by turning the mouse back into the boy and returning his pet mice, but she she's not wearing a glove and her her arms have changed. So one of the one of the key features of witches is they have talon like claws on the hands and somehow she's changed back. It just I don't know, it was a really weird
1: choice. It's the power of good, Laurie. The power of good. Yeah. It's transformed her back. It just seems like a bit of a whitewashing of all of the the kind of darkness or the, um, I don't know, kind of bizarre stuff that Roald Dahl is so into that made the book quite unique It pretty much is And the funny thing is the rest of the movie isn't necessarily like that Like there's an added scene where uh, the Grand High Witch pushes a, a child, a baby in, in a stroller down a hill Which wasn't in the book but is kind of Dahlish in its motives
2: Yeah, it was kind of evil and delicious, I quite liked that too
1: Yeah, but they had to undo everything with the ending and it was a real a real disappointment Hmm. I guess the other couple of nitpicks I had and they're not
0: major is that for some reason they changed the grandmother's illness from pneumonia to diabetes and I wondered if that was a function of a uh, an American scriptwriter. And the other thing was there was a Sony advertisement in the in the movie at one stage Luke picks up uh, Sony radio Plays with a few buttons for a minute or two, and then the scene cuts away, and the, yeah. so- the Sony logo is right up on the screen. You're like, oh, okay, Sony paid it for It's very steal, strange. Obviously. Yeah, and and the and the last thing, or there's two 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 more things. One is that the cinematography I thought was mm. bland uh, and brown and boring and horrible. The the movie itself, you know, I appreciated that it was faithful to the book, and there were some good characters and some great casting, but the actual Shooting of the film, it really felt to me like a a midday movie. There was just no, there was no arc to it. It was just very pedestrian. Oh man,
1: that's that's the the highest criticism you can level at a film, <laughs> just about calling it pedestrian. It was pedestrian.
0: <laughs> and the last bit was there was clearly a budget problem because there's a scene in the book and the movie where all the witches have locked themselves in a big meeting room and are discussing their next evil plot to rid the world of children. And because they are naturally bald and they have to wear wigs to conceal themselves, they all take (laughs) off their wigs and they take off their gloves and they take off their shoes, so all their witchy features are revealed. And I couldn't help but notice that probably 30% of the crowd... Weren't actually women? Yes. And the book is very clear on this point (laughs) that witches are women.
2: Ghouls are men. Yeah. They were
0: dressed in drag. (laughs) I thought to myself, that's not a very good-looking woman. And then on closer (laughs) inspection, it was a man, and then two rows back, there was another man. Surely they could have got, you know, 40 women to either put on fake bald caps or just shaved their heads for the art. But no, they had a, a room full of probably sixty to seventy percent women and the rest were just stand in males in drag. It was
1: <laughs> ridiculous. So were they were they naturally bald dudes? I don't know. Or... I-
0: I haven't looked up their IMD profiles IMDb profiles to check it out I'm just, I'm just
1: trying to figure, like, what's the logic behind it? Is it easier to get a bald man? Or did they just say to half the crew on the day, like, hey, craft services, like, can you, be, can you just dress as witches?
2: That's kind of what it strikes me as It kind of makes you feel like on the day they had a huge room and only half a room full of extras So they were uh, scrambling
0: yeah, that that's that's what I thought. Yep, and and it's weird because you know when you had the full room scene, you I could pick them out. Yeah. But usually when when they were zooming in for a sort of a cackling scene or something, then they would focus on women. But then there were just a few shots where the man was like right there on the screen, um,
1: the five o'clock shadow and <laughs> <yeah, went laughs> all. Yeah, five <Yes>. o'clock
2: shadow <laughs> and all, absolutely.
1: <laughs> it did add to the fun of those scenes. I thought, like spotting the men <laughs> on the <a> rewatch. <laughs>
0: Maybe it was a very subtle game by the director to add a bit of fun to the children's lives. Oh, miss, is that a man? <laughs> uh, no, it's a witch. Yeah. So, you know, budget probably didn't stretch that far or they did have problem with extras or, or something. That was one of the more amusing nitpicks, I guess. So, yeah, thumbs
1: down for the movie for me. I didn't enjoy it half as much as the book, to be honest, so... Nary a thumb to be seen around. <laughs> I think if you if you watched it as a child, you'd have a little bit of an attachment to it. The the really um, wondrous thing, I think, is that reading on the internet, there's actually quite a few people out there that somehow prefer the movie to the book. Well, I guess movies are much more consumable.
2: Must be the special effects; they were top of the range, <laughs> <laughs> green smoke and all. Yeah, actually, the transformation seemed
1: to be different every time. Yeah. Like, sometimes there would be a lot of detail and it would take some time. Other times it would be almost instantaneous.
0: So, Keith, you loved the Grand High Witch. What was the actress's name? Angelica Houston. Yeah, she did a great job. And, Brie, it made you wonder what?
2: That's an excellent question. What did I say to you earlier?
0: <laughs> you said we should discuss what our favourite witches are.
2: <laughs> I did say that, and that is not Angelica Houston. I was actually going to discuss my least favourite witches, <laughs> 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 which is quite possibly Galinda, who I, I'm i sure you're all familiar with from uh, the, she is the what, good witch Galinda of the Wicked Musical fame and also of the Wizard of Oz. She has it, hands down, for my most irritating witch of all time.
1: How dare you say it in that order, though?
2: <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Go on.
1: The Wizard of Oz first, please, before the musical.
2: Oh, gosh. I didn't realise I was going to touch on such a sore subject for you, Keith.
1: Well, I, th- I think even just being respectful to their chronology You have to start with The Wizard of Oz There's, there's two of them <laughs> I take it that your favourite witch of all time is Galinda, Keith No, not at all, actually I didn't like her, despite really liking The Wizard of Oz So just be aware you're being judged very harshly, apparently Let's move on from there quickly Uh <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any favourite or non-favourite witches But there's certainly some memorable witches And actually Laurie pointed one out to me That I didn't even consider a witch It was Evil Lynn from Masters of the Universe I didn't consider her to be a witch But it turns out that she is So I really feel uh, I've let the He-Man fraternity down there on that front <laughs> What's going on, Keith? <laughs> nice one, Pat <laughs> He's He-Man number one fan <laughs> Not quite Moving on to other witches Before I embarrass myself yet again Ursula from The Little Mermaid was, was a memorable witch from my youth. I have three sisters, so... Oh, good one. She was quite evil. Can you be a witch and also... A, was she a, was she an octopus or something? What was going on with that? Yeah, she did have tentacles. Okay. Not of the Japanese variety. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to our anime-watching
0: friends.
2: <laughs>
0: Anime, was it?
2: No. I don't know what I'm doing on this podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, Ursula is a good one. She was quite a good character. I mean, she that movie was a little bit beyond my age range, and I think I watched it, but <laughs> I remember her being badass. So, good one. What about you, Pat? Favorite witch or least favorite witch?
1: I've been I've been thinking about this quite a bit because I don't have a lot of memories of uh, witches from my childhood. Um, the first thing that came to mind actually was those. Babin witches that were on TV when i was a kid <laughs> charmed
2: um, you are referring to the magic charmed. of charmed ah,
1: yes <laughs> i am i am referring to the magic of charmed and i didn't actually watch a lot of charmed but i know that they were so babin <laughs> copyright
2: patrick moon
1: i think i think witches might have sort of turned sexy at some point in my in my childhood like that you know cultural icons sort of at some point in their existence have to they have to turn sexy and it's it's the renaissance of vampires you know in more recent years, but I think witches might have been having a thing then. Laurie, is that a segue for you and Harry Potter? Absolutely. I
0: mean, the Harry Potter films are filled with wizards and witches as students at Hogwarts, and everybody enjoyed young Harry and young Hermione and young Ron as you know kids on these great adventures. A really good story, but you cannot deny that Emma Watson she became. I think, particularly in the, in the last film, uh, a sex symbol for a lot of young men. Uh, not me, in particular. I was more interested in Fleur Delacour. She was... Wonderful. She was an awesome character. She was in the Triwizard Cup. She married a Weasley, she cared for him when he was gravely injured, even though people cast dispersions upon her character and suggested that she might not be interested in someone who wasn't beautiful anymore. She she was tender and loving and helpful for him, so I respect her for
1: that. She, often, she This is a love letter. She
0: was in the <laughs> Battle of the Seven Potters. She went to Potter's house to help him escape um, and make it to school and she was in the Battle of Hogwarts and survived and was awarded Medals of Honour both by the British and French Ministries of Magic. She's awesome.
1: Plus, she was quarter Vela. Come on, guys. I was actually going to, after my um my brief soliloquy about the, the Charmed Ladies, I was actually going to say that I think uh, Harry Potter kind of represents the witches of my childhood. I think I was about... Ten When uh, the first Harry Potter book came out And uh, I didn't read it straight away I don't think I I may have been a, a year or two behind the times But um, that was definitely like my You know, the witches of my childhood Were these like trendy kids going to Hogwarts, basically They definitely had a rehabilitated image Post, you know, the Roald Dahl days Of being bald and Smelling dog droppings, <laughs> wherever they go Yes, the Grand High Witch was no Clements Posey, that's for sure
2: Fleur de la Cour, not no. a bad witch Just throw that one in there <laughs> Say that again you
1: say, you've, got, uh, you've got that R roll like the Grand High Witch going on there
2: <laughs> Oh, low blow, low blow
1: <laughs> <laughs> Right in the accent
0: Brie, how about you?
2: This is where I am going to insert my favourite witch of all time, which is actually Willow Rosenberg from the Buffy the Vampire Slayer series. Mm.
1: Oh, good choice. <laughs> I had no idea there were witches or some of the characters were witches.
2: She comes to it sort of, uh, what, season, and I'm sure that Laurie will correct me, season four? Season three?
0: No, it's earlier than that. Yeah, maybe season three.
2: Yeah, I thought it was like the Mare series, but yes, okay. She is beautiful, she is fallible, she becomes evil, she becomes good again, she has life's ups and downs, she's kind of got it all going on. Yeah, best one by far.
0: Yeah, she's awesome. Who do you prefer, Uh, good Willow or evil Willow?
2: (laughs) Evil Willow all the way. (laughs) Man, she
0: she was so cool. Mm. Her hair went... Sort of dark, redy color, black, oh, red or black, black, black. black. Mm. And she had tight leather on, and she was just <laughs> brutal against her enemies. It was, um, yeah, it was an interesting time for her character.
1: Does she do uh, sort of emo dances down the street like Toby
0: <laughs> Maguire <Mabai or in laughs> and Spider Man? No, she would. F- what, was she, what was she doing at one stage? Was it flaying the skin from a
2: yes from a monster? From a monster, that is correct.
0: She went very, very dark. Yeah, she was great.
2: Yeah, it was a great couple of seasons in the middle there.
1: Good choice. Mm. I think we've uh, canvassed the the history of witches pretty damn effectively there. (laughs) Covered some territory. Uh,
2: Nobody's covered off Sabrina. I know that was a particular (laughs) favourite. Oh, man, Sabrina.
1: (laughs) I used to watch Sabrina when I was, um, like, super young. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think that's of the same quality as Willow from Buffy. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't say that, but I, I don't think it was of
0: that much quality in general. The the cat always creeps me out. It looked like the worst
1: taxidermy job ever. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Chuck Tester didn't have anything to do with that one.
2: These rats and mice in this movie of The Witches, not much better.
0: (laughs) No, they weren't. Oh, they were cute, though. The other one just looked creepy, like the cat from Sabrina. All right, so back to the book. It's time for our scoring. Brie, would you lead the charge here?
2: I will indeed. So this week we have, as this is week one, our first scoring mechanism. The scoring will change on a week-by-week basis based on my whims. So this week I am going to ask each of you in turn to complete the following sentence and it relates to your favourite and least favourite Roald Dahl novels. So I would like you to complete the following sentence. This is better than, insert Roald Dahl title here, but it is not as good as, insert Roald Dahl title here. And I'm going to start with you, esteemed host, Laurie.
0: This book was better than the BFG. Oh, how down! Ooh, <laughs> But not as good as none of them. It was simply the best Roald Dahl book I think I've enjoyed. Yep, I've read them all I think, and uh, Witches was the first most to come to my mind when starting this podcast. So sorry, can't can't fit within the boundaries of the rules there, I loved it. So, uh, yep, slightly better than the BFG. Witches takes it for me.
2: We will come back to the BFG in a future podcast.
1: <laughs> oh, the gauntlet has been thrown. He did say slightly better than to, to contextualise <laughs> it. So. Someone's just been eating snozberries, <laughs> <laughs> Mr Rowe. So, better than the magic finger and not as good as... Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. Mm, agreed.
2: Interesting choice. Do we care to put any parameters around that or just say we will look at these again in future?
1: I'd hope we will look at Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, and perhaps not George's Marvellous Medicine. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> not that it's what? not that it's horrible, what? but I mean there's such a with such a library of books to choose from. Uh,
0: George you know. was fantastic. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Mr. Moon.
1: I haven't heard sort of passions run this high for a long time <laughs> <laughs> The level of um, investment people have in their favourite Roald Dahl books I'm going to completely spit in the face of all of these passions Because I, I don't actually really remember the Roald Dahl books very well So I'm going to judge this based on what five-year-old Patrick thought Or ten-year-old, or, or whenever I was reading these um, It was better than the BFG Oh, again <laughs> I I think. Oh yes. Not as good as the one that had like these two really sort of unattractive, horrible people, and the dude had like the twits. (laughs) The twits is where it's at, man. I loved the twits back in the day. I have no idea whether the twits holds up, but uh, I
0: bet it does. (laughs) (laughs) Just as much as the glue held his pants up in the tree.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's my take. I enjoyed it though. And Schoolmaster Brie?
2: Oh, for me, this is better than uh, going solo. But not Ooh. as good as Boy. <laughs>
0: Despite it being first <laughs> edition and
2: signed, Brie? Uh, 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 there are rumours. <laughs> oh, oh gosh.
1: Persistent rumours. I wish they would disappear. <laughs> was there anything we picked up on in this reading that we'd missed previously? Because for me, there was actually something, the formula itself formula 86. I didn't realize that 86 was a term for a slang term for getting rid of something. Is that true for others here? I didn't know that was a thing until you said it right now. Me neither. It's it's current usage apparently primarily in America but also elsewhere that you know to 86 something. For example, maybe to remove it from a menu in a restaurant. It has etymology-wise it has so many different sources. But they were all effectively for getting rid of something, so it was obviously chosen intentionally. But I had no idea mm. until, until this reading.
2: I've never heard of that either. That's interesting. <laughs>
1: I was getting a little bit concerned as I was reading the formula because it's like put in, you know, a, a bit of an alarm clock, put in a bit of whatever, all these sort of common household things. What am I thinking? Oh my god, there are going to be children everywhere. We're trying to make this. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it got sort of progressively a bit more fantastical, but for a moment I was worried for all the all the parents of the of the time who had to be fishing their alarm clocks out of pots.
0: Do you think maybe Dahl had invested in
1: an alarm <laughs> clock factory or something just before of the book? <laughs> It's very possible. And just on the book as well further, there was an excellent article on a website, Publishers Weekly. It was written by Stephen Roxborough, who was Roald Dahl's editor from 81 to 87, and it touches on a lot of the editing process of getting this book published. Roald Dahl himself actually felt that the ending should have the mouse changed back into a boy initially. So that that was, um, ah. yeah, for me a, a real eye-opening discovery. But he didn't want to essentially, but he felt it had to, given he didn't want a sequel. Ah, ah that's interesting. interesting. That's a that's a good find. Well done. Yeah, you should definitely look for it. It's, again, on the publishersweekly.com. It also talks about uh, how they had quite a debate about the use of dog's droppings and (laughs) and how it would be spelt in the book. Oh. And I think Roald Dahl's final word on it was, I don't think that dog's droppings is all that hard to pronounce. It is at any rate over here the common usage. Nobody says dog droppings. I'd like this to stay as is. And it did. I thought those were some of the best scenes of the book The, the dog's droppings components so They were finely crafted And I'm glad that they were kept as they are Because it's, it couldn't be better <laughs> Agreed
2: And now I'm searching for it to find out where they put their apostrophes
1: I, I think there was there was no apostrophe whatsoever Was that right Keith? No, it's after the S in dogs so. No, no, in the, the version that was suggested Yeah, that's right mm. Yeah, they they weren't just dog droppings Hmm Mm. mm which does make sense, but doesn't roll quite as well, does it?
2: Dogs is droppings. Say it ten times fast.
0: You'll be poring over that article tonight with your um, book light, Bree.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes, <laughs> among a rereading of the BFG so I can be armed to uh, defend it when I next come across one of you two. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and on that note, I think that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone. Next episode, we'll be treading fresh ground with a book none of us have read in Ranger's Apprentice, Ruins of Gorland by John Flanagan. Feel free to join us on Twitter, at Seeking Tumnus. We love feedback, suggestions, and hearing your progress as you read along with us. Or if you'd like to tell us what your favourite Roald Dahl book was, feel free. Until next episode, steer clear of lollies and Turkish delight from strangers, and keep reading.
1: Oh.
2: Don't forget Bruno!